you attempt to remove anything from our ship. It will be considered an act of war. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullies, and I don't like threats, and I don't like you, Color. You can try and stop us from getting to the truth, but I promise you, if you do, I will respond with all the unique technologies at my command. Janeway out. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Voyager Bridge... This is Tyler Orton, sipping coffee from that nebula. And we're here this week to talk about the journey of Janeway, a character I think that's been a big part of this podcast, but we've never really done a character-centric episode, and I think it's about time. I think you agree, Tyler? Yeah, especially knowing that her presence is being felt once again in the Star Trek universe with the launch of Star Trek Prodigy. It's apparently coming back soon to finish off the last half of season one. And I think Mm. we wanted to kind of tackle that character while we still have a chance, especially now that uh, Lower Decks will be coming back at the end of the month. So I think it's uh, overdue. We've tackled a lot of these captains up until this point. I I think most notably, uh, we did uh, Picard just a couple months ago ahead of the season two premiere of uh, Star Patrick Picard. And I just think Janeway is one of those characters that whose journey has been quite memorable, you know, in a way that we have really seen her start off as one thing and kind of like turn into, you know, not an entirely different character, but it's definitely a character, I think, um, grounded by Mulgrew's performance in a way that would have made her feel very, very different had it not been for how consistent the actress is with portraying somebody that that's often written um, very different ways depending on exactly what the writers want to do with any given story, any given episode. Yeah, you know, there's all the stories about Genevieve Bujol, um being cast as Janeway initially and then leaving the show because it didn't just really work out with her. And this is kind of one of those miracle cases where Voyagers, you know, they had some problems behind the scenes for a while. And... It's just one of those performances that just locks in right from day one. And the writing can be inconsistent, but the character feels like they're there because of that performance. And I remember when this show launched, I didn't watch Voyager when it started, but I remember in high school talking to people in the classroom the night after it aired and people were ultra, ultra excited for this show to see the first female captain leading Star Trek. And I remember everyone talking about her performance and how she really nailed it right off that premiere. And you know what? You go back to Caretaker, she really does. Yeah, you know, why don't we dig into it a little bit deeper. Before we get there, I, I do want to bring up the uh, the passing of Nichelle Nichols just over this past uh, week. It happened about a week ago, as you folks are listening to it now. And this is just such a, a breakthrough uh, star, a breakthrough character that emerged from Star Trek, owing to the fact, you know, that she was she was a woman of color. 
in just such a prominent role in a way that we really would not see in the 1960s. And we've all heard kind of the, the Whoopi Goldberg story about, you know, seeing her on TV and, and exclaiming, mommy, mommy, there's a black woman on TV and she's not a maid. And it's that inspiring factor that, you know, Michelle Nichols uh, had recounted at conventions about how she had been thinking about you know, departing the franchise until uh, Martin Luther King Jr. told her she just can't. You know, mm -hmm. like she's there as kind of a, this guiding light uh, for folks. And I, I just think that her presence and just how well loved she is within the fan community. Also point to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, she's been the inspiration for multiple iterations of Uhura, uh, you know, played by, uh, you know, uh, Celia Rose or or Celia Gooding Rose, I should say, or uh, uh, Zoe Saldana. It's like... Um, it's just kind of amazing how this character has been able to endure for so long. And it's really on the backbone of Nichelle Nichols, you know, 56, 57 years later. Yeah. And when you look at the original series, the show didn't, you know, give Uhura a lot of story arcs. But like when you watch that show, that character is portrayed as very confident, in control, in their job on the bridge. There's never a sense of them not belonging. And that's very, very astonishing for a 1960s TV show. And you can understand why it meant so much to so many. And there's been some amazing tributes written about her by people who have far more to say than we do. And I think like it shows just the power of her being on that show and what she brought to it. Because they really cast a fantastic actress for that role and someone who just has that, you know, we talk so much about actors who don't fit the mold on Star Trek or who aren't really bringing what's necessary. And she always nailed that role. And I really bought her as a member of a Star Trek crew. And there's a reason she's such a legend because of that performance. Yeah, And I don't want to dwell on any bad things, but I think you and I both kind of know after seeing her so often at the conventions that she's definitely at peace now. And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just good that um, she's kind of able to, you know, have this legacy endure. And I think what we can do, you know, maybe uh, we've got a clip uh, ready to go from something that we recorded a couple years back for uh, an episode, and we can uh, play that at the end of this. But it's just talking about, you know, why she's such important as kind of this uh, breakthrough, uh, in this breakthrough performance as well. So, um, and I just wanted to say, like, you know, I did meet her, you know, at a con in like 2013, and just like delightful woman, very kind. And I want to just recommend to people, you know, Uhura doesn't have a lot of stories driven by her in the original series. There's a few here and there, but like I urge people to check out the episode, the Lorelei signal from the animated series where Uhura's in control of that whole episode, captain on the bridge in that one really solid underrated episode. So, you know, maybe as a tribute to her, check that one out. So Cam, okay, if we want to, you know, talk about the journey of Janeway, the, the one sentence to describe that is uh, she started off as a bookshop owner in the early 21st century and, ended up becoming a hologram. So I think that kind of sums it all up. <laughs> okay, on that note, our assignment is complete. <laughs> yeah, no, but look, uh, it, it's the uh, the between story, the actual uh, real flesh and blood Janeway, not the uh, the ancestor, not the hologram that she would become. And, and look, Janeway's still buzzing around in the Star Trek universe. So I, I think you and I are both excited to talk about what uh, possibilities are ahead. But as you mentioned before, uh, Genevieve Bajol, she was originally cast as one uh, Nicole Janeway. Um, mm -hmm. It was originally going to be named Elizabeth Janeway. Um, there, there's footage, images of her out there. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen uh, Genevieve Bajol in other performances, and she kind of has like almost this kind of fragile 
aura about her. Like she's in command of the screen, but she's not a uh, Irish woman, gruff, rough and tumble kind of Kate Mulgrew as she tells it kind of um, actress. She's she's more of the, more of that kind of French Canadian sort of actress. You know, um, not 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 somebody who I would say would work as the lead of an American network television show back in the nineties at all. But I'll say this, Cam. Yeah, cast uh, Kate Mulgrew, who was kind of second choice at the time, and she nails it there. You know, that opening shot of Janeway and Caretaker, hands on hips, staring down at penal colonist Tom Paris in New Zealand. (laughs) All I can say right there is chef's kiss. You know, that's your captain. That is somebody who would eventually kind of evolve into more of kind of this den mother character as well as being kind of the one in command at all times. So, Ken, you brought up the whole uh, what your memories were from uh, school at at that time with people reacting to the first woman captain um, watching her. Uh, Do you recall kind of the first time you may have uh, watched Caretaker or may have seen Janeway in, in like a full episode of Voyager and how you reacted to that? It would have been many, many years later when we're doing the podcast, and it was either me just starting Voyager, obviously, you know, and watching Caretaker, or it was when, I have vague memories of this, that when we did the episode, um, I think it was, I think like guest stars on Star Trek, I think I watched the episode Sunkatsi, so it might have been seeing her on there, or alternately, the episode The Thaw with the Clown. Yeah, what was your reaction to her? The uh, j- Just your memories, that kind of visceral reaction you would have had seeing her on screen. It felt like a performance that I could instantly understand. And that's not necessarily the case for Star Trek characters. Sometimes it takes a while to get kind of the vibe of the character. But there was such just like a fierceness and commanding tone to what she like, you know, how she delivered her lines, the way she commanded a bridge, that it was kind of like that Patrick Stewart factor when you see patrick stewart in encounter at farpoint that episode kind of all over the place but there's never a second where i questioned this guy's the lead like i completely buy into this whereas like i remember you know avery brooks's performance takes a little bit of getting used to it's a little odd a little idiosyncratic with janeway you lock in right away well i think also it's it's a took a little while for Archer to come into his own as the lead, but mm-hmm. Mulgrew, there's just no denying it. And I, again, I want to emphasize this, you know, uh, it, it's really more of a testament to what a strong grasp Mulgrew had on the character rather than maybe the grasp that the writers had on the character. There are multiple showrunners, um, you know, somebody like Brandon Braga was more interested in the high concept uh, sci-fi stories than sort of the uh, character based stories. And so, Mulgrew's had to really navigate through some wild swings in what her character's decision-making would be like any week, you know, going from kind of the scientist explorer all about diplomacy to eh, sometimes she had to be an action hero ready to shoot up an alien ship. You know, I I just, I think the problem was (laughs) too often she was beholden to these scripts that always seemed to climax with big explosions on the bridge, especially from season four onwards. But I, I, again, I can't emphasize this enough. The, the, the fact that uh, Mulgrew was able to uh, elevate the character beyond that and I think really elevate into a character is one of the most memorable uh, captains in Star Trek. You could make a strong argument that just as a, a captain you'd want to serve under, she could be number one. Yeah, and it feels like early on they were 
pretty honed in on like Catherine Hepburn in space, the way they were styling her hair, the kind of presence she had on the show. And it seemed like later on they took inspiration from other things. You know, you get kind of like a Sigourney Weaver element when you get episodes like Macrocosm. And we'll talk about that sort of stuff later. But like, it felt like kind of their vision of what this character could be kind of expanded. And as different showrunners came in, they had different kind of influences tying into it. But like, it's the performance that's kind of holding it all together. So like, when I finished the show, despite the fact that there's kind of different, you know, variations on the writing of Janeway, it feels like a pretty consistent character. I don't walk away with like, you know, the way we talk about, say, like uh, Picard in the movies versus the TV shows. I don't feel that way with Janeway jumping through different showrunners. Uh, are you just trying to get uh, give me an excuse to start crapping on Star Trek Picard again, Cam? Because uh, don't let me take that bait. Right now. I didn't mention Picard. I said the movies because I, I didn't want to go down the uh, Picard rabbit hole one, <laughs> yet again. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kim, you know, I, I think there's a way that you and I, we decided we wanted to frame this episode around, you know, kind of give it its own uh, skeletal and we can uh, track her journey from there. But uh, why don't we go season by season, pick, you know, one or maybe two episodes per season that might be kind of the, the most important Janeway episodes. We're not saying these are the best standout episodes of all time from Voyager, but these are the ones that I think kind of give you some real insights into what makes the uh, character tick. And I think in season one, I think episode number one, Caretaker, is that episode for me in in which you understand her decision-making process where rather than letting the Kazon um, uh, take dominance over the Ocumpans and the uh, the ensuing uh, sectors, uh, she's willing to destroy the Caretaker array and stay on this side of the galaxy to pursue uh, this journey home. Um, a lot of people disagree with that decision. Um, mm-hmm. One, Rudy Ransom, uh, for instance. But I think this might be... Okay, is this the most defining decision Janeway's ever made? Uh, taking away kind of the severity of and the implications of what it had, but is this kind of something that really defines like where she's coming at as a uh, captain? I would say it does yes because i think it like when you look at that character's journey this is kind of the defining decision of her life and obviously affects the lives of everyone around her and does i think when we look at her as a captain this is what we talk about yeah so i i think uh you know there's other ways to we can also kind of like uh, expand in the character, you know, like, um, I don't know, do we want to pick like one character on the crew uh, per season and uh, dive into them, you know, like maybe what the relationship is? Does that kind of uh, work for you as well? Um, sure. What about uh, Tuvok? You know, kind yeah. of uh, not just in season one, but I'm talking about throughout the course of the series. Like, I think her relationship with Tuvok was, was very clearly defined in Caretaker in which they go back some years. I just wish they could get there more frequently. You know, like we saw that in flashback in which um, she's kind of guiding him through this journey into his own psyche as he's revisiting the Excelsior once again. I wish we had more of those kinds of adventures to really kind of solidify what the dynamic between Janeway and Tuvok was other than her willing to um, uh, disassemble one Tuvix to bring back her old friend. (laughs) Yeah, because their relationship goes back further. There's always this sense of like, kind of like, you know, her her wise friend that she can almost look to as a confidant. And that sort of relationship is so important for a character that you almost 
think like well you don't almost you wish that they'd built up the Tuvok character more on the show because you'd like to see more exploration of that relationship I mean look at you know Endgame and how much her story at the very end is driven by this relationship with Tuvok and so like you know there's a there's a great reveal early on um you know in Caretaker that Tuvok has been with her the whole time aligned and not actually a member of the McKee and I just, I guess I have the question. Why do you think they didn't feel compelled to explore more Tuvok stories with Janeway? Because they obviously want to explore the captain. It's a good excuse to, you know, have the two of them paired off sometimes. I, I think Tuvok was a much more aloof character than Spock was. And when you have perhaps one of the most aloof characters of all Star Trek, I, I think they just had a hard time finding ways into that character and from there finding things that he could do to bounce off of Janeway. I think it was just simple as that is they, they didn't have nearly as strong a grasp on the Tuvok character as they did on the Janeway character. Yeah. And like, there's the episode prime factors in season one where there's that alien species that has some tech that could help them. And they don't believe in giving it to outsiders. Janeway's like, okay, but the crew kind of goes behind her back and um, Tuvok's involved in that. And there's like kind of the two of them kind of, you know, having butting heads and him saying, well, you know, it's the logical thing to do. And her being like, okay, I can understand this. I would like more stuff like that. Like that feels like that's not a great episode by any stretch, but I wish they had had more kind of conflict like that on the show or just kind of underlining the differences between the two, but also why they, you know, blend together quite well. Uh, maybe there will be a hologram Tuvok that we'll see on the USS Protostar from Star Trek Prodigy at some point. Uh, but until then, uh, why don't we jump over to season two? I think the most important episode, at least from my perspective, that uh, Janeway experienced here is right at the very end. Uh, this is Resolutions, in which mm -hmm. uh, she and Chakotay end up uh, trapped on that planet with a virus that can be contained to that planet. And uh, so they spend months with each other. Uh, Chakotay builds her a bathtub and gives her a neck massage, but Kamal Gru <laughs> said, you know, time and again, uh, during conventions and interviews that she did not want Janeway defined as, you know, kind of the, the person in command who could go around, you know, uh, I, I believe she used the word bopping, um, other <laughs> members of the crew. You know, I, I think she rightfully said, you know, uh, she would lose a lot of credibility that way. And I think she kind of articulated that well in the episode uh, resolution. So you kind of give that opening, which makes sense if, you know, Chakotay is just calling her Catherine, uh, you know, from there on out as opposed to Captain. And I, 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 I it, it's one of those like smaller episodes. It did not go overlooked at the time. I think a lot of people had made them even more excited for the possibility of a, a Janeway and Chakotay romance. But the reason why this one is so important is because it's establishing why Janeway's experience kind of on the uh, romance-o-meter was more in kind of the the realm of one uh, Picard rather than a uh, Will Riker, for example. Yeah, because she had, you know, Mark back at home. So it, it made sense that, like, she would be, you know, holding out hope for that later down the road, that uh, maybe a romance... It, it was a convenient way to kind of write out any potential romances. And honestly, I never felt like they were particularly necessary for the character. Like... I don't think that's the case for really any Star Trek character. I don't think any of them are individuals that I'm like, I need them to have a romance or else I'm going to lose interest. Yeah. Janeway was fascinating on her own. And I think like the concept of Mark back at home is kind of compelling. Having someone, you know, back far, far, far from away from you and not knowing, you know, you're 
for you, you're going through this experience and assuming that you're going to get home to them, but like, will they still be single? I almost wish they'd kind of worked into that a little more, played with the kind of the melancholy of that situation. It's kind of, you know, dismissed at a certain point, but this whole flirtation with Chakotay, I know that like a lot of fans wanted those two together. I kind of like the way they settled here. I don't know that I would have bought them having a romance that would last across seven seasons of the show, and it would just feel weird. Like, do you want to sit there in some of those later seasons and have, like, Janeway and Chakotay a couple? Or fighting with each other? You know, like, is that where the dynamic tension and drama would be stemming from week to week? Like, I'd much rather see him and Janeway have tension developed through episodes like Scorpion, you know, which uh, Robert Boltran was given good material and knocked out of the ballpark there with Chakotay. Yeah, like... Beltran is never better than when he's kind of having these one-on-one scenes with, you know, Kate Mulgrew, whether it's conflict in some of the episodes we'll talk about, or in kind of a romantic, um, kind of flirtatious way in resolutions where you're kind of acknowledging this relationship. I think he's pretty strong here. Um, There was a couple other just like episodes in the season I thought were at least interesting for showing us something we hadn't quite seen before. I I liked right up front the premiere of having Amelia Earhart there and very much aligning Janeway as someone in that sort of lineage of type of character. I thought that was kind of important in terms of framing the iconography of Janeway. But alliances is interesting. You know, the whole Kazon stuff isn't my favorite. But the idea of um, her kind of gambling on trying to create this sort of relationships that would allow her to and her people to survive is the sort of thing that would be paid off better when you get to her, you know, making a deal with the Borg in Scorpion. But like alliances kind of paves the way for that. And you have Chakotay later in the series run talking about how she could be a gambler and kind of impulsive sometimes. And this kind of shows like the type of captain behavior you didn't see Picard really do. Yeah, I, I think this is kind of one of those uh, hidden gems of uh, Voyager as well. And uh, just even the um, character, uh, I, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but uh, that she was playing off of, who had more of kind of a uh, uh, nefarious intentions in mind when it came to striking these alliances or, or, or moving forward and getting uh, uh, <laughs> uh, more of a truce going with the Kazon. But um, I, I think that was kind of a, a strong example. So I, I wonder, like, we, we've got a bunch of characters that we need to discuss uh, that have been on the series. Uh, we we kind of tackled Chakotay here. Do we want to throw in Kess before uh, we, we get beyond season three and just talk about what her relationship with uh, Kess was? Or maybe I'll, I'll throw it to you. Um, what was kind of her most defining moment with Kess right off the top, uh, Cam? Uh, top of your head, that is. Um, Boy. I know. <laughs> I am in the same boat as you. Uh, this is kind of a difficult thing is because you could almost think of Janeway being able to take this young, young, um, elf-like alien (laughs) and make her kind of more of a a Starfleet officer slash scientist explorer. You know, Kes had something uh, in her blood that wanted her to go beyond just the, uh, that that wonderful mall, underground mall that the uh, Ocumpens were living in. (laughs) I think it would have been more interesting if we had Janeway kind of guiding her, but it was more that mentorship was coming from folks like, say, Tuvok, who we just mentioned, as well as the doctor. Um, she doesn't need to be the mentor to everyone, but I, I just wonder if that was, was a bit of a lost opportunity, though. Um, 
there was this episode. Oh, what was it? Uh, she's like kind of wandering around in the cave. I think there's something had to do with ensuring Tess's life. Um, yep. But, uh, you know, the fact that there's not any strong standout moments is maybe kind of indicative of where the characters or the writers uh, priorities were back then. Yeah, like I really strain to that episode you're talking about. It's the one I confuse with Warlord. It is it isn't Warlord, but I know the one you're talking about because the one you're talking about is much worse. It's a very very just grim episode Incredibly to sit boring. through. Yeah, really boring. Um it is interesting that they never really framed that sort of um mentor protege relationship even early on. You'd think they might have, but no. And it makes more sense honestly once you have Seven join the show that that mentorship makes a lot more sense than maybe the Kess one does. Yeah. All right. Well, Cam, uh, if we can jump on over to the next season, uh, I, I think that uh, season three is uh, uh, kind of interesting here. Uh, in that the, the first time I could ever see Janeway as the all out, you know, Ripley uh, character that she would often kind of fall back into his macrocosm. Uh, watching that one for the first time uh, was revelatory for me as how I could uh, kind of uh, perceive Janeway as a character. Not just kind of the uh, the explorer, not just the uh, den mother, but the uh, I'm going to kick your butt and save my ship and crew no matter what it'll take. I'm really curious. When you saw this episode back in the day, like what was your response? Did it feel like a radical shakeup for the character? It felt like a radical shakeup for the show. Like, yeah. we hadn't kind of seen this kind of all-out uh, sort of alien, and I mean that with regards to the Ridley Scott movie sort of episode in Star Trek before. And I, like, when she's, like, pretty much, like, wrapping a bandana around her head and uh, saddle up, lock and load uh, mode, you know, like, I was just like, oh, wow. And I didn't have a problem buying it. And I remember at the time, you know, this is back when I was on the uh, Star Trek message boards, um, I don't remember anybody having a problem buying you know Janeway in this role despite her not really presenting herself as the action uh, character before and I think it just speaks again to kind of um, what kind of screen presence and command of the character that Mulgrew has and it introduces an element of the character that you can explore further because you've had this kind of hard negotiator character the diplomat um you know, the woman of action during like, you know, battle scenes, like a really strong bridge commander or captain. Um, but like introducing an episode like this, kind of like Picard's Starship Mine, um, it just kind of opens the door for other stories we're going to get like Prey and what have you. And it never feels unconvincing. And maybe it's like an age thing because Kate Mulgrew is, you know, relatively young when she's doing this show. Whereas when I look at, say, like Patrick Stewart doing action stuff, when you get towards the movies, it feels kind of weird for the character. But like, I think like Mulgrew was also just like the perfect age to play this character where like she makes all of this feel very convincing. Yeah. And, and uh, look, uh, before we forget, uh, I, I just do want to bring it up. Uh, the episode from season two we were talking about was Sacred Ground. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm season three. And it is the lowest rated episode of season three, according to IMDb, with a 5.8. In fact, uh, your favorite episode, Cam, Favorite Son, uh, gets away with a 6.0. Well, it's it's for the um, just the comedy points, right? There you go. Uh, you call it comedy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so who would be kind of a good character? What about the Tom Paris character, uh, if we're going like, to kind of go into that relationship? Because when things start out, like she's pretty much giving him his only 
salvation that he might have an opportunity for after she served with his father, Admiral Paris. So I guess it would have been Captain Paris at the time. She believes in him, and he's a guy that does not really believe in himself at that point. And, and I do like those moments, even when she has to, like, um, A, demote him after the episode 30 day or during the episode 30 days and b when she gets the opportunity i think in the uh, season finale that season uh was that unimatrix zero i think but to promote him once more you know you, you kind of feel for this guy and how she's kind of been shepherding him along uh this entire time what i find interesting about tom paris is that we see him right in the pilot like kind of at his lowest point at that penal colony and she's standing over him and he's a character who you know those kids, I was one of these kids who really benefited in school with strict teachers. Sure. Uh, I was not one of those kids. You're not. Okay. I, I, I was the kid <laughs> who'd make snotty response to the uh, the strict teachers, as I'm sure you could imagine. <laughs> but I feel like Tom Paris is also one of those, you know, individuals. And throughout the course of the show, that 30 Days and 30 Nights episode is fantastic. And if we were to do a uh, Journey of Tom Paris episode, like that would be like one of the key texts unlocking that character. And I like how much of his, you know, direction on the show is driven by having Janeway portray this very strong figure in his life and one that will like smack him down when he is getting out of line. And I think that's a character that very much needs that. He obviously has issues with authority because, you know, his father, you know, um, Admiral Owen Paris. And I love that this dynamic, the way it plays out with these two, and it feels like Tom Paris is a character who like goes through like some real low key kind of changes throughout the show. Like they're not the big dramatic character arcs you get from some characters, but it really does feel like Janeway from that first moment, you know, standing over him at that colony to the end, she really changes the direction of his life. Yeah, and I do appreciate you gave the uh, shout out to that Josh Hartnett movie, uh, 30 Days of Night. Uh, but uh there you go, man. Uh, uh, that's a uh, flash to the past right there. Did I say 30 days of night? You said 30 days and 30 nights. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow. The episode is 30, 30 days. Yeah, right. 30, that's crazy. Okay, yeah, 30 days. I apologize. <laughs> You're a big Josh Hartnett fan. I, I, I get it, man. I am, I am. Yeah. Um, you want to jump over to season four? For me, this is an easy one. Uh, but like, what makes Janeway tick? It's something like Year of Hell. In which, you know, she's going to make tough decisions like, okay, let, let's do a skeleton crew, make everybody spread out and abandon ship at this point. You know what? If I have any hope in hell, I'm going to lodge this ship kamikaze style right into Anorax's uh, time ship. And uh, look, blows everything to hell, but it ultimately saves uh, the crew. Not that she necessarily knew it at the time. Which speaks volumes to like who she is out as a character, and uh, you know her uh, just <laughs> screaming "You're out of time" uh, was an amazing moment as well. And so often we hear these, you know, kind of like anecdotes about like you know the captain would sacrifice themselves for the crew. We got to see Janeway actually do it. Like when the moment came down to it, she was willing to just take her own life and crash into Anorax's ship to reset everything. And so like. It's the sort of thing that like you can have acknowledged about characters, but it's very rare they actually create a story that actually gets to allow us to see that. And so that's why like I think Year of Hell is so fantastic. Plus, just like that two hours and watching everything just fall apart and you see how 
Captain Janeway commands, even in the worst of circumstances. We see her surrounded by, you know, a loyal crew throughout the majority of Voyager. You never see them as uncomfortable as maybe we would have liked in the Delta Quadrant, but like Year of Hell gives you that, where you get to see it just completely broken down and how she still is fighting to the bitter end. I still kind of wish that the show, like, was Year of Hell. You know, like, mm. it didn't have to... It didn't need to start off, you know, from the get-go as, like, they're all miserable. But just having them, like, low on supplies, fewer allies, you know, that sort of stuff. And if, see, by this time you get to Season 7, and they're at Year of Hell mode, you know, that that could have been... And I'm not talking about, like, the, the whole, you know, uh, time, alternate timeline elements, but just how... It, it it's an incredibly arduous journey. It's more of like, kind of like what they went through on the Equinox versus uh, the more easygoing uh, travels that they had on Voyager. That's what I would have liked to have seen Janeway kind of uh, go through over the course of seven seasons. Um, almost kind of Archer in season three of Enterprise to a certain degree. And I know people have talked about how like Year of Hell um, would, have made, would have made like an amazing season long arc. Do you think it would have been too punishing for people? I think they needed to be smart about how they serialize it in that it, it doesn't start off like, you know, just kind of the floodgates are open and it's miserable, all like that. It's more like uh, it's kind of one thing after another. And you could have, you know, like two or three episodes in a row where it's not like uh, kind of like misery porn or anything like that. But it's like, um, you know, like uh, event after event kind of builds and it, it, it's ultimately just tough on the crew you know mm -hmm. like i i think it could have worked had they done that for season four but you just you need to plot it out better and i i think that would have been fine yeah i i think it could have really been fantastic although i'm very happy with the two-parter we got but it's one of those what ifs like i don't sit here and go what if that times arrow tng story had been a whole season or like eight episodes or whatever they said they initially flirted with um to me that sounds like something i don't want to watch whereas like year of hell in an alternate world, I'd be very happy with that longer version. Yeah. Um, with regards to kind of a character from that season, um, you know, I, I guess Leonardo da Vinci, uh, concerning fight, that's probably uh, kind of what I want to focus on for the next 14 minutes, if that works for you. Um, maybe that's another episode, our concerning flight, um, you know, commentary episode, but maybe we should tackle seven here because we have the gift and we have also got Scorpion part two at the start of this season setting up what is going to be the great mentor-protege relationship of Janeway's career? Yeah, look, uh, if, we, if we go beyond uh, the behind-the-scenes tension, mm -hmm. I think the uh, performers were able to uh, uh, go uh, beyond that and really deliver kind of this great dynamic in which Janeway clearly sees something in Seven of Nine, despite the fact that Seven of Nine is um, ever so skeptical about... Uh, what humanity's real motives and intentions should be versus what they actually act out on. And I, I think Janeway was like, who was kind of the next closest character to Janeway aboard Voyager after seven or, or uh, sorry for seven after Janeway? Was it the doctor? Is that kind of the, the two, you know, it, it's pretty much the triumvirate of the crew, but are yeah. those Seven's two guiding lights aboard Voyager? I would say, yeah. I don't think there's anyone else that jumps to the forefront of my mind. I mean, there's other relationships on the show, but those are the key influences. But even, like, just watching uh, Seven of Nine and Janeway, Janeway has to talk her down in hope and fear. 
and, and like kind of explain to her that she does have a home, no matter what they might think um, moving forward in the uh, finale there and the, the prospect of going home back to Earth. And that comes only after like a, a season of Seven and I'm in a character. And it really just shows like kind of what an impact that Janeway has had on the character, what an influence Janeway's had on Seven in such a short period of time. And like Janeway must be like a projects person because I think like when she brings in Seven and sees that humanity and becomes determined to help her regain that humanity, that is not an easy task. And there's like a level of commitment that Janeway has throughout. And what I love the most about this relationship is that they really butt heads a lot. And like Seven is kind of one of those, you know, one step forward, two step back types. And that it creates a lot of conflict on the show, which is always interesting and compelling to watch. But you also get to see kind of like Seven slowly develop. It doesn't feel like some shows which would get impatient and be like, we've got to get that character to a finish line fast. It feels like, you know, something like we can talk about like Picard, how it would stretch out storylines or discovery unnecessarily. This feels like it needed to be stretched out. And I feel like when you get to the end of Voyager, that, you know, very like tumultuous relationship and you know the building blocks of who seven will be feel very very earned yeah. except for the relationship with Chakotay that's not earned that's not earned <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I also just want to point it out point out an episode like Dark Frontier you, you know um, just with regards to the seven and, and Janeway dynamic there and you know kind of the uh, you have the the board queen you know the the into uh, Janeway's Yang there and I, I think that's kind of a fascinating dynamic and juxtaposition and you know I, I think I don't know, just between you and me I think Seven made the right decision the smarter decision yes I don't know that the Borg Queen is yeah. going to lead you down many positive roads um yeah unless you're eating uh batteries from a smartphone um <laughs> watch season two of Picard people I am not making this up she's going to lead you into a lot of parking lots as opposed to roads yeah yes <laughs> Uh, Cam, jumping forward to uh, season five, do you want do you want to kick this uh, one off with an episode? Yeah, let's start right at the beginning of the season. The episode Night, which I just watched the other night uh, for research. We rarely saw Janeway at a low point. It was usually like this pillar of strength on the show. And I like that they took this episode. Season five, in many ways, when I was looking at like the episodes that kind of matter for that character, season five feels maybe a little heavier in that regard than some of the other ones around it. And I think it was very smart to have this moment of doubt to show that like Janeway, in spite of being, you know, the badass fighter in macrocosm or the amazing captain, there is a human there and there's a human that can feel, you know, broken down or depressed and someone who has to overcome that. I would have liked even an episode dealing with that maybe more than what Knight does. Knight, she kind of gets over it relatively quickly into the episode, but I like that they have this here, especially at like a pivotal point where we're at season five. We're getting closer to the end, but we got a ways to go. It feels like a good place to have this episode. I also, when I watched that season premiere initially, I, I it irked me. It almost to me at the time, and I was pretty young though. I uh, like it almost felt as if she was kind of detaching too much and almost giving up on the mission and the crew. You know, like leaving too much to Chakotay while she reflected you know like I, I i've come around on the episode more but that was just my initial takeaway and i think it's good for characters to go through these you know it's realistic for these characters mm -hmm. to go through these ups and downs and I, I think they would have kind of done a disservice if they did not acknowledge how much this mission 
ultimately weighed on her though you know and so i like i think this is a very important episode i don't know if we could have done a uh six episode arc <laughs> no. focused on kind of what was going on in nights i'm not talking about kind of the story but like what was going on janeway's character uh that's something they would probably do in like star trek picard or something like that yes exactly <laughs> um i think they did it just well enough to get across i mean this is someone who you look at the burden of leadership that she would have trying to get them home and how hopeless that would feel. I like that they at least took that moment to give her that feeling of like, I, I feel hopeless myself. And ultimately, this episode ends also with like the crew basically mutinying against her. Um, and she says something like, you could all be hanged for this. But she also smirks when she says it. Like there's a sense of like appreciating that the crew will not leave her behind. Like they will stand up and say, no, we will rebel against you because we will not leave you in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Look, uh, jumping to, I, I think this is maybe one of my all time favorite episodes of Voyager, but Counterpoint. Yeah. In which she has that uh, a great chemistry back and forth dynamic with uh, Inspector Kashik as they make their way through a part of space in which uh, telepaths are, you know, persecuted and of course, they've got telepaths aboard Voyager and uh, some other aliens. But I just having her uh, get the opportunity to kind of pursue something a little uh, it didn't have to ne necessarily be uh, sexual, but very, very much uh, a will they, won't they? And there's tension there, and it's perfectly captured. And look, despite the fact, I think by this point. Uh, she had found out that Mark had, uh, gone off and married someone else, you know, uh, thinking she had, uh, died at, and so it, it made sense for her to kind of, uh, let loose, not, not let loose, but her more willing to be vulnerable. And, uh, it just, it, it's, it's hard because sometimes you kind of get the sense she might be playing a game with Kashik. Other times you do think that, uh, she does have like true feelings for him. So it's just, but, but that's just it. Like I, how often do you actually get to see Janeway in this mode. I, I really think this is the only time we see it in Voyager, at least executed this well. Yeah, it's the sort of thing I wish they could have maybe brought that character back later down the road or something because it was so fun to watch in this episode. And it's something I'm glad they dodged with Voyager, which I said earlier, but just like not giving her like a lot of love interests or anything because like, you know, if we go in the old time machine back to the 1990s, who they would have been casting as like romantic leads in episodes, right? It would have been generic nineties, man. Exactly. And I'm glad that they avoided that. And they have this guy who's really fantastic. I think the reason it works so well is that Janeway as a character is incredibly smart. And I think when you put her against generic nineties guy, which could have easily happened, it would have just felt so underwhelming in the same way it does, you know, with some of those Kira stories and things like that on DS9. Here, this is an incredibly smart character. And a lot of the sexiness or romance of this episode comes from two people who are on a similar intellectual level matching wits. And I don't think that's easy to write. And I think they did a fantastic job writing that. And I don't know how many times they felt they could do that on the show but i like that this one example at least exists yeah uh kim if we're gonna talk about dynamic with a character um i i, I fear that one uh Belana torres kind of falls into the same bucket as kess yeah i'm 
kind of looking for anything beyond season one in which there was much to talk about. But like, do you remember any real memorable moments between the two? No. Um... Yeah. It just seemed as if Bellana's character was defined solely by her relationships between, uh, at least early on, Harry, Tom, and Chakotay. Beyond that, like, I, I don't know. Like, She really didn't get much to say other than like um, flashes to main engineering to inform Captain Janeway where the shields are at. I have stronger memories of her... Um like relationships with seven. Like I recall the two of them having some episodes where they kind of had some friction and worked it out. Like I, that stands out to me more than anything involving Janeway. Janeway, it feels like a lot of Bellana stories where you would have Janeway as kind of the, you know, the voice of wisdom to kind of deliver maybe the message at the end of the episode or something like that, but not a lot of strong, the two of them together type of stories. Yeah. It's unfortunate uh, there. Um, I don't know. Okay. Forgetting hologram Tuvok, maybe hologram uh, hologram Bellana would be a lot of fun as well. Bring them all back in hologram form. I'm down for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cam, jumping over to season six. Uh, we okay. Um, <laughs> there, there are two episodes. <laughs> they vary wildly in quality. I will start with uh, Fairhaven though, mm, in, yeah. in which, look, <laughs> it's not my favorite episode of Voyager by any means. But this is Janeway establishing, like, she she has this need for kind of an outlet for her own vulnerability and just to be desired and to feel as if um, there, there's somebody that she, she just needs to release sexual tension with, you know, just with regards to Michael Sullivan. Uh, the uh, fake Irish hologram who uh, his wife is deleted <laughs> in the program because Janeway wants to pursue him. And look... I can't, like, how can I really falter for this, you know, that you're five and a half years into this journey? Like, I, yeah. I it just, the episode wasn't executed amazingly, but it, it feels true to the character. Do you by any chance remember who wrote this episode? I, I don't, but I can easily find that out uh, on um Maybe have uh, a look IMDb. at that, because I'm just really curious, because I it's an episode, I think, it isn't a good one. But I think it's kind of an important story to tell about, you know, this woman who, as you said, has been on this long journey. You want to have a sense of like her inner life. And I think there would be that need for some sort of romantic spark or connection. So I like the idea of this. I think Star Trek's very bad at showcasing characters exploring sexuality. You know, there's, I always think of like the Riker stuff with Minuet and whatever, which this feels similar to. But I, I am curious. I want you to look this up to see if it was like a female writer. It was. It was a woman writer. Uh, okay. It was Robin uh, Berger. Uh, she also went on to write uh, Memorial uh, later that season, as well as Live Fast and Prosper. So uh, okay. to answer your question, yes, uh, a woman uh, did write this. I just wonder, like, could this episode succeed? Or is it the sort of story that just couldn't really be done justice in the 90s or early 2000s, whenever this was? I, I just think that, okay. I think just the conceit of this old timey Irish folksy town was yeah. lame. I, I I just like I'm sure Kate Mulgrew would love to actually like immerse herself in this in real life. Um, I, I but I wonder if there's some alternate like holodeck setting that could have worked in what she is pursuing like a relationship with the hologram, you know, like um, just you know, kind of the, the Geordie LaForge, Leah Brahms sort of thing, but uh, in a much less creepy way. 
could they have gone for something, you know, because Janeway likes her gothic hollow novels, something more like almost like 18th century kind of, um, you know, restrained sexuality and sort of like the temptation kind of vibe. You're making which is so it even worse. I know. Like, I know. Like, I think that's what people want to see even less. You know, I say, uh, like, what would frolicking around Paris could be fun? And I don't mean Tom, but the uh, city of... <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's tough because it, it, it's not as if like it would mean much or, or hit the audience. If you're like, I'm on planet beta Z and it, it's like, it kind of whatever, you know, uh, or actually, you know what, unless it was, <laughs> she's, uh, on Delta as in the planet of the Deltons, that could have actually been a lot of fun. They're getting frisky there. I agree. It could have been fun, but would it have been done well? No, but it would have yeah. been done way better than for Fairhaven. I would happily trade it, like just because at least we'd have some like canon exploration of the Deltons, just for my own like kind of geek brain. But yeah, yeah, like it's a kind of episode I would be fascinated to see what they would do with an episode like this, maybe now. Um, but I just feel like coming out of the um, you know, the factory back then, it just boy, like Fair Game is kind of clunky. Uh, yeah, well, don't worry. They, they followed it up with Spirit Folk because they knew that the fans were craving more. Uh, Kim, I, I, I suspect this one's on your list in season six, but maybe, uh, I don't know. Uh, do you want to say it before I do, or uh, do you want me to just jump over to this? Uh, what, what, what I think is maybe her most important episode of season six. Are you thinking of The Good Shepherd? I am indeed, yes. Uh, to me, this is just her at her best as the den mother, where she's shepherding along, good shepherding along um, these crew members <laughs> that have never gone, <laughs> these crew members that have never gone on an away mission before. Um, I kind of wish we could follow these characters like more than we did, you know, throughout the remaining journey of um, of Voyager. But like, this is this is Janeway taking an active interest after realizing she kind of messed up as a commander and not taking nearly as much of an interest as she should have uh, this entire time. And plus, uh, uh, Tom Morello's uh, in this one for <laughs> some reason. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's in some ways similar to the episode Lower Decks, and we did an episode where we compared the two. I think, like, it's really interesting to see Janeway working with, like, a group of characters we aren't that familiar with. Because when you see it with, you know, Tom Paris or Seven, we're there week to week. We see that relationship. I like here where we kind of start fresh. It feels like the sort of story I would like to see in that proposed Starfleet Academy show in terms of like, you know, a teacher and students. I think like there's like a toughness to Janeway, but a kind of a good sense of humor. But like, like a compassion and a drive to make these people better than what they currently are. I had a question for you. You know, you watch an episode like this, you watch her, you know, journeys with those other characters I mentioned. Is Janeway the best mentor captain? Yeah, I I, I would say so. Like, because yeah. I'm thinking about like who are other, like, I think there's a reason why she was picked up for Star Trek Prodigy. I, I really do. Because, you know, you got Picard calling, you know, Reginald, <laughs> Lieutenant Broccoli, look, uh, who who is Cisco mentoring? You know, a, any given episode. Uh, His like, son. That's about it, really. Yeah, actually, yeah, that, that that's a good point. But I was thinking, kind of, and I'm sure this is what you're referring to. But like as Starfleet officers, you know. Yeah, maybe Nog. Uh, Lorca's not going to do it. 
I and I I wonder if um the only competition we might have in the coming years would be one uh, Captain Pike as kind of a mentor captain. But I think uh, Jamie yeah. really does kind of uh, hold hold the crown for now. Who is Archer as a uh, mentor? <laughs> like Porthos, you know? Yeah, I would say Porthos. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's this type of story. Like it feels like that they realized Kate Mulgrew could do really well and they were like, exploit that. You know, at a certain point when you're writing a, a show, you're going to look at the qualities that your lead actor has and what works really well. And that's clearly something that they picked up on. Um, we had an episode where we talked about, um, you know, um, jobs that actors had done before they joined Star Trek that maybe look, you know, that maybe like echoed some of the work they would do on Star Trek. Early on, Kate Mulgrew in her like 20s is showing up in like horror movies where she has to like provide guidance to like young children who are scared. And like you completely buy her as a mentor, even at a young age. And it's the sort of thing that she does so effortlessly on the show, but so compellingly. You know, I, I should have clarified earlier on for those that were confused by my reference to Tom Morello. Uh, he is the uh, lead guitarist uh, for Rage Against the Machine, of course. And so there's this cut scene in what she was mentoring him on how to play lead guitar. And uh, just too bad that that never made it into the show. Yeah, That would be the greatest episode of all time, right? <laughs> I'm picturing it in my head. If she was teaching him how to play guitar and it ended with him like doing a performance of like a rage classic. Come on. Uh, she's got and she's got a pocket full of shells. <laughs> she's singing the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> she's killing in the name. <laughs> All righty, Cam. Um, beyond um, uh, uh, rock stars, uh, you know, I, I, the Neelix relationship. The the thing that sticks out most to me here is, you know, when she was talking to him in Fair Trade. Yeah, I, I think that's my favorite Neelix episode, and what she's looking for a map because he doesn't know what go what's beyond this certain um sector in the Delta Quadrant, and she makes it clear to him like you will always have a place on this ship you know like it's a nice relationship they do interact with each other you know she can like um kind of uh you know smirk at other characters when he's being goofy but i do think there's a lot more going on between these two characters than what she had with say balana or uh kes for example yeah i like the conceit of bringing neelix onto the show you know in caretaker where he's going to be someone who knows this you know kind of the galaxy around them and can provide guidance so like there's a relationship struck up there that makes him important and i like scenes where he's explaining things in briefings and she's listening to him seriously he's a goofy character and i like when you know she's able to treat him seriously as the episode you mentioned as well but like at a certain point neelix doesn't know the various sectors of space they're traveling in and i feel like that's when the relationship kind of loses something like i don't i don't know like what is Janeway and Neelix's relationship in like seasons five, six, and seven. Like she doesn't need to rely on this guy anymore and nobody thinks his cooking is all that good. So it's he like she knows he's kind of on babysitter duty for the ship's children. Yeah. You know, like you said, like, so what is their relationship? Uh, They don't really have one. She gave a nice goodbye when he left. (laughs) (laughs) She couldn't wait to get rid of him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The viewers understood. Okay. <laughs> well, why don't we uh, throw in Harry Kim into this mix? Because we've got one more big character to talk about once we get to season seven. But um, mm-hmm. look, I I do like the the Janeway Harry stuff very early on in the season, where 
you know, just even she's talking about that letter that she received from Harry's mom about how he forgot his clarinets uh, right before the caretaker mission. And she felt this obligation towards that character. And I thought that it was very sweet. And I think, you know, um, despite him never getting promoted, he does still have some reverence uh, towards Janeway as someone that uh, really got him through like his uh, early years of Starfleet, you know. When I think of like the Tom Paris relationship with Janeway, I think more of like a strict teacher with Janeway and Harry Kim. It's interesting where it's like a supportive but firm like mother figure because like Harry Kim is really young and like he goes through some stories here. Like I think of like uh, the disease when like Harry Kim falls in love and it feels like Harry Kim, you know, the actor Garrett Wong is too old almost to be playing these stories. (laughs) Because you're seeing the kinds of like cringe-inducing adolescent behavior that so many of us go through. And yet to watch it here where the disease just keeps popping to my mind. Where like Janeway is like yelling at him and pulling him aside over him like screaming, I'm in love, I'm in love. But I kind of like seeing that aspect of Janeway, even though I kind of feel bad for Garrett Wong for playing it. So like as a relationship there, I find it kind of interesting to see her treating Harry more for like his emotional journey sometimes as well as his prof- uh, professional journey yeah you know the disease is not a great episode but i think that's actually a really good example of what you're uh, talking about there so um cam um okay jumping into season seven this might not seem the most super obvious but i think this is one of the most important janeway episodes and just what it really does reveal about her character to her core even when her entire memory is wiped and she's building up her personality once again this is workforce of course in which she is you know kind of recruited uh, the entire ship uh against their will to work on a planet and uh memories erased and when she realizes that she is in this leadership role that she is the captain of a starship this woman who doesn't have her memories she believes it with all of her heart to the point like she's giving up uh a really strong relationship. Although, Kim, we did realize that they agreed to move in with each other after one week, uh, her and her love <laughs> interest, which uh, that, that's a little fast, but hey, alien cultures, uh, who am I to judge? Um, I just think this is like a, such a, a typical Janeway to the core episode in which there is no question on her part about what she believes she is when it comes to a leader. It's always interesting when you can see a character t- uh, tested by temptation. And we've seen that, like, Janeway, despite being, you know, this amazing captain of the stars, she feels that drawback to Mark back home. And here you have this, like, very cozy domestic situation with this, you know, partner she has in workforce. And yet when, like, she's tempted by ultimately, like, what her mission is, she knows where she has to go. Like, it isn't that moment of even hesitation. It really underlines the core of that character. It's almost like a you know, to be grandiose about it, almost like the uh, Jesus in Last Temptation of Christ moment of seeing like what my life could be. Nope, that's not my role. I know where I have to go. And I I like that they managed to work this into an episode that could have easily just fallen prey to being kind of the um, Star Trek gimmick two-parter kind of story that, you know, what happens when they wind up at an alien work facility? Well, they escape. The end. I like that they work in character growth there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, so I, I guess the last character, unless there's an episode that I'm missing here that uh, you, you wanted to touch on. But for me, maybe the last character we should address would be the doctor and 
this is a very dynamic uh, journey between these two characters. Mm-hmm. You know, she starts off treating him very much as a nuisance and just even simple things like letting him choose, you know, if he can turn on or turn off his program and going from there and giving him far more freedom than I ever anticipated that I think any other captain would give him to the point she even lets him abandon the ship to go pursue an opera career. People, I kid you not, this actually happened on Star Trek Voyager and the episode Virtuoso. Uh, but there's also episodes where you can tell, like, the Doctor's grading, not just me as the audience member, but he's grading on Janeway as well, you know. But, uh, you know, I, like, I, I just think that this one, the, the, the mentorship she gives to Seven is only rival, I, I think, kind of this, not only... Uh, human mentorship but almost kind of career mentorship she's willing to give to the doctor especially when he's kind of pursuing things like the ECH program the emergency command hologram program which I thought was a little goofy but look if it worked for them to get out of a sticky situation like in uh, Ticker Tanner Doctor Spy then uh, have at it. I like that they gave Janeway a little bit of a blind spot initially where like a lot of captains are kind of supportive of everyone and I liked it initially she was kind of just annoyed by the doctor or you know didn't want to give him his own quarters um and then you have like you know i mentioned the episode um well we mentioned two vicks where she makes a very difficult call in that episode and we see that kind of play out with the doctor in latent image where like janeway will make very hard calls that the doctor doesn't necessarily agree with and she can be pretty tough with him and it's an element to that character i find very interesting because when you watch TNG. Um, Picard is pretty much on board with Data from day one. And I like that here they made it more difficult for Janeway to find kind of that meeting place and to kind of gain that respect by the uh, end of the season or by the end of the series, I should say. It's kind of in the same way I like the Seven relationship. It's not easy. It's not that I like, you know, Riker and, um, and Picard. But you never have a real sense of those two coming at odds with each other. I liked that a lot of the Janeway relationships, the growth feels so earned because they're at odds at times. Who is Janeway's best friend on the ship? Um, you see, my initial reaction was Chakotay, but I, I wonder if it's tu, uh, Tuvok. That's what I think as well. But I would say that she doesn't really have any super close relationships with anybody. They're all very professional relationships, which, and I'll point out that this, I think is a bit of a flaw on the writer's part though. And I, as far as they knew, they're on this journey for 70 years. And it just, I, I think that there's maybe this aloofness to her that, you, you know, maybe maybe Picard isn't necessarily the most aloof character, um, at, least, at least Captain, with regards to uh, uh, Star Trek Captains. It could be, you know, Janeway, just because, you know, Archer's got, uh, you know, his buddy Trip. you know, that uh, Cisco's got his family. I just don't know who Janeway has, though. Who does she open up to the most on the show? There's got to be a character at least the most. I think it's... Okay, I think she's most vulnerable when the doors are closed and she and Chakotay are having a big disagreement about stuff, whether it's the Equinox uh, ship or the uh, the Scorpion-Borg alliance, you know, that sort of stuff. I think it's Chakotay. And then that episode, right early on in the show, you know, resolutions. Like, I don't see her having kind of that open vulnerability with another character the way she does with him. And I wonder if that's something like, 
Robert Beltran had his own battles behind the scenes with the writers. And I wonder if like there had been a better relationship there, if they would have boosted up maybe just, I'm not saying a romance, but just more of a relationship between those two in later seasons. Cause I think it could have been really good to have for these two people who have gone through so much to get their team home to kind of acknowledge that journey together in a, you know, more intimate way. I can't believe we forgot the uh, Fairhaven moment where uh, Chakotay on the bridge just turns to January and says, they're all force fields and photons anyway. <laughs> That's definitely opening up. <laughs> yes. um, I did um, have a question yeah. for you because we have yeah. Endgame, which caps off the show. Now, when you are examining yeah. the journey of Picard, all good things is pretty critical in tracking that character's arc. Is Endgame ultra critical to Janeway? Yes, I, I do think it is. And that's not how I initially felt when I saw that episode for the first time 20 years ago. You know, I, I initially felt a little bit let down, but a, like, I realized that Admiral Janeway, she's not kind of the antagonist I first interpreted her to be. She's mm -hmm. kind of showcasing where Janeway is willing to go in order to save her crew and make things right, at least by her own definition despite uh I, I would say the the uh ethical uh quandaries this creates with regards to this alt timeline here uh, and even just contemporary genway going back against her having these arguments i think this is a critical episode towards understanding what it is ultimately that the character we know as janeway is willing to do for her ship and her crew i like that the show found ways whether it was year of hell or endgame to show like, what could happen to Janeway if things didn't succeed? Like, I like that this character, the Admiral Janeway, is, like, haunted and is kind of, you know, she's damaged because of losing so many crew members along the way. And the fact that she goes back to help them get home. She's, again, it's a character who's constantly taking the role of being, you know, not a martyr, but, like, the person willing to sacrifice themselves for the team to get home. We get to see it actually play out in a way that I think is pretty effective in the end, even if the journey of Voyager arriving back at Earth kind of lacks some punch. But, I mean, as they say in the episode, I guess it's the journey, not the destination. But, yeah. Okay, well, Kim, look, the, the journey's not quite over, though. You know, like, I, I hologram Janeway is not Janeway. I, I don't think we need to delve too much into that character, because I think they're taking J hologram Janeway into some interesting places and, and making it actually a much deeper sort of um, feature on the show than I ever anticipated. But uh, look, uh, Admiral Janeway makes her first appearance in Star Trek Nemesis ever so briefly, giving uh, Picard orders. And uh, it's confirmed she's back again at the very end of the uh, mid-season break for Star Trek Pod Prodigy. And I could not be more excited. I am pumped to see where they go with Admiral Janeway at her point in her career. Um, and look, she's willing to do anything for her ship and her crew. And whatever pursuit of, you know, spoiler alert, uh, 54321, uh, per pursuit of Chakotay is, I know that it is definitely worth fighting for. And so I, I'm, I'm pumped to see where they go with uh, Admiral Janeway moving forward. What really interests me about this is that, like, Janeway had a singular mission through the entire run of Voyager, set up in episode one, get her team home. That mission is accomplished. What is Janeway after that, like whatever she achieves on Prodigy, I'm really interested to see just 
Janeway going on these other missions without sort of the baggage that she carries through every episode of Voyager. What is that character like? And I have a lot of faith that Prodigy can pay this off in a way that isn't Star Trek Picard. Well, I can assure you that her number one mission is not getting Seven of Nine into Starfleet Academy, uh, mm. as we found out in Star Trek Picard. Uh, <laughs> Janeway threatened to resign, but I guess Starfleet called her bluff and she did not resign. But, uh, oh well. I had a question for you. Now, the great Star Trek icons, you know, William Shatner is pretty much hung it up on as Kirk a long time ago. Nimoy has passed on. Um, Patrick Stewart is basically ready to say mostly goodbye to Picard unless there's a movie or something like that. Do you think Janeway could soon become that sort of icon that pops up a little more in live action Trek and kind of cast that shadow over the franchise? Yeah, and, but and so much of it is dependent on where they go with uh, contemporary Star Trek. And by that, I mean the year 2501, mm -hmm. which we're in right now or I should say 2401. So my sense, just based on what uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3 showrunner Terry Metalis is saying, is there are more shows coming set in this contemporary period. Not using Kate Mulgrew in some sort of live-action uh, role would be a travesty, knowing how much this character means to her, and the fact that she's willing to play her still. You know, whether it's Star Trek Prodigy, and I think Mulgrew's hinted uh, just very recently that uh, maybe there is some more live-action Janeway ahead as well. There's just so few characters who have that level of gravitas that are legacy characters that seem viable options to continue on with the franchise going forward. Because they've kind of like, Picard's done. It's done, people. It's done. <laughs> I can't do any yeah. more Picard for now. It feels like Janeway's next in line, and I don't even know that there's anyone after her well who yeah who would it that be right because like um avery brooks seems to have just completely retired from you know public life so it's not going to be cisco um bacula i think might be game for it but i don't know that the audience has a relationship with bacula in the same way so like well, archer it's... yeah it's like i don't know about archer well and I, i'm just thinking about like iconic characters that have kind of that widespread more pop culture appeal as well like people know who Janeway is I don't know if you put I don't know uh Nana Visitor in mm -hmm. kind of an analogous role like she could command the screen of course but does it resonate yeah like uh I I I, I think it's Janeway you know I, I I I don't think it's real argument there you know which is also a sign that Star Trek needs to create more of those characters because we're going to yes. need them for the decades to come. I mean, I love Anson Mount, but you can't make him do everything for the future of Star Trek. <laughs> well, look what he's doing with his hair already. That man is defying gravity. Let's let's not make him uh, do any more. Yeah, I mean, had they done more with Prime Giorgio, I would have said like Michelle Yeoh could have had that. I, I think like in a different world, um, Burnham would offer that, but just the writing on the show hasn't allowed her to blossom into that in a way that's as compelling as it should be. So it feels like they need more of those characters to kind of carry the torch going forward because Janeway does feel like kind of the last one of the, if we call it the classic era, I suppose, the classic era. So Cam, why don't we throw over to that uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, kind of tribute clip that uh, we were talking about earlier. 
and then uh, listen all the way through if you want to find out what we're up to next week as well. Why don't we jump into, uh, with regards to other breakthroughs, I, I think let's go back to the original series yeah. with, with Nichelle Nichols. Um, you know, everybody knows the story. Whoopi Goldberg uh, is watching her on TV and says, Mom, 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 there, there's a black woman on TV and she's not a maid. And I, I think kind of seeing a, a woman of color where her her role in the series is not defined by the fact that she is a woman of color. She's got like just a normal job. And I, I think that's inspirational. That that was absolutely – was there any other role like that on TV at the time? Not that I know of, Cam. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. No, no. But I think, uh, you know, Nichelle Nichols, what really sells it though is just the moments where – you know, I, I've referenced this before on the podcast. There's the episode where, you know, her, her console's broken. And she's fixing it. First off, she's fixing it. Yeah. You know, they aren't like having someone come in and fix it for her. Right. She's doing it herself. She's doing the soldering and what have you. And Spock goes in and kind of tells her to hurry up. And she says, I'm, I'm you know, doing it as fast as I can. And he says, no, I know this, you know, and you are, there's no one better to do this than you. Yeah. Like, I don't think that people really think now when they see this, they go, yeah, no, she's the communications officer. She's the best to do it. They don't realize that in, you know, 1967, I think that episode was in, this was insane to say on television. Yeah. Like, it, this was so, like, out of just, like, people would have just been, like, wow. So, Tyler, what are we tackling next week? We will be covering the Traveler trilogy, of course. Cam, uh, we're going to uh, one of the most ridiculed characters, uh, at least on this show and all of Star Trek. But he has such an important part of the mythos across the uh, series, especially uh, what it means for Wesley Crusher. And uh, I don't know, uh, check out uh, Picard season two if you want to know if there's, there's any importance to these uh, travelers here. And uh, I think that's kind of why we we want to dig a little deeper into uh, what's going on with the the traveler. And um, I think it'll just be a fun way to talk about a character that that's a little bit strange, a little bit out there, but ultimately uh, rather important. And a character we've been consistently fascinated with since pretty much like day one of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was actually fallen co-host uh, Benjamin Young that was maybe the first to bring him up in, in in some sort of capacity. I think it was, yeah. I think it was when we did most annoying characters. It was like episode three of the podcast or something, and I think he brought up the Traveler. I like how we were actually doing episodes like most annoying characters, like when we first started. Cam, <laughs> um, I kid you not, I, I won't say who, but there was a pitch for uh worst hairdos in our first batch of episodes that we did uh way back when mm -hmm. uh have you know those never got through but i think didn't we talk about like the evolving facial hair of some characters during an episode at one point uh that was also i mean we did do our um oh like makeover episode but yes there was yeah. something about facial hair that's right yeah okay well there you go. So anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you like the show, uh, rate us on your podcasters. If you really like the show, all we ask, give us a review. It'll help more people find the show. And that's all we really want to do is uh, spread the word that we're doing here at Subspace Transmissions. That's right. And of course, you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Vice Admiral on the USS Dauntless Smith. And you can find me at Reporten, that's R-E-P, P as in Paris, is where I like to frolic, O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.
Transfer complete. 